it's good to come and get to share with you tonight and just give you a report of what God's been doing in Portugal. We're excited. You know, many times when... I'm sorry, I can't help, but my old nurse from BBC is here, and it just keeps catching my opinion. Well, you know what I mean, like when I was there so long ago. If it wasn't for her sending me back to class, I might not actually be here. I tried to get out of class so much. I never got sick so many times. It's just good to see you. Anyways, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, hey, things are going well. We're excited to be here, you know, many times. One of the things my father-in-law told me back, he's been a missionary for 35, 40 years, I don't know, it's been a while. And one of the things he told me when we were first starting out is when you go back to visit your churches, um, many times when you go, your report to your churches is, we're, we're still there, God has been faithful, but keep praying for us. You know, because sometimes you go through seasons where ministries has its downs and you wait for that up, right? Um, and now you see that here as well. Uh, we're really praising God that we are in an up right now. God has been doing some amazing things in our church. As you saw in February, right before all of these things happened, our church just started growing. We added to the church in our English services, in our Portuguese services. We had so many people that we couldn't fit them in the building. We had them sitting outside, and we were just thrilled. And I was preaching in English, and I was preaching in Portuguese, and then as soon as we said amen, I fell over into the baptistry. That really didn't happen, but I was just seeing if you're paying attention. But um, things are going well, and we're glad to come back and share with you how things are going at our church. Uh, I don't want to take for granted that every single person here tonight understands the process of missions, so I like to give just a two-minute update. Uh, we've been on the field for four years since we were back in the States last time. Uh, and this section of our ministry while we're here looks very different from the regular ministry that we're doing while we're over there. For four years, we're on the field, we're doing church planning, we're doing evangelization campaigns, we're discipling new believers. Uh, I pastor my church, they barely know that I'm a missionary, they call me pastor, so it's kind of a, an interesting relationship as a missionary pastor. And every four years, you come back and you share how things are going and you pray that God would protect your church while you're away from it for an extended amount of time. That's extremely hard to do when you really just want to be there and be uh, ministering to your people. And so that every four years, that our role changes and we come back and we share what God's doing and we kind of pull out the missionary card and we share how things are going and give you an update on our ministry. And I come from a sales background and before I became a missionary, I worked in insurance for a few years and it was, I really enjoyed it. I loved it actually. And um, I, I'm a very goal-oriented person. I like to decide what I'm going to do and then what I got to do to do it and then do it. Right? Anybody else like that? I think that's what Jesus did, right? I mean, that's why he started the history 4,000 years before he showed up, right? Because Jesus made plans and he worked them, right? So we got to have that. And so when we were getting ready to come back on furlough, I started praying about what furlough would look like for us. And then COVID hit and we're like, well, God knew COVID was coming and church has to go on, right? So my, my goals are not misguided. This has stayed the course for our plan. Uh, number one goal for our furlough this time, and I, I think they're in order of importance. Number one is we desperately need your prayers. Over the last uh, 13 years as missionaries, we have seen God work miracles through saints just like you praying for us. And at just the right time, God brings us to mind and you pray for us and God delivers. And I've told the story 
from Brother Hilton many times from mission strategies. I did pay attention uh, about the time you were ministering in the mountains and the lady back in the States was praying for you and y'all about went off the cliff on a motorbike. Listen, I've brought that up a lot of times. So that's a great example of how God rescues us through people praying. And it's an important part of our ministry. So I like to encourage all of our churches that we're in to pray for us. Grab one of our prayer cards. If you go to the back side, you'll see our website, moorestoportugal.com. If you go on there, you can go to the correspondence page. You can do it right now. I see some of you reaching for your phones. That's okay. Uh, you can go to the correspondence page. You can click on Tuesday Newsday. And on Tuesdays, you get a short little blurb, if that's a word to use in church, of how things are going with us. Maybe a picture or two of the kids and uh, people you can pray for. Maybe a ministry opportunity that's coming up. But it's always short. And it's always a way to keep people and churches engaged in what God's doing in our local ministry in Portugal. And so we don't take that for granted. It's a special update that we send. It's different from the prayer letter. We never ask you for anything. It's always about prayer. Okay, so if you want to be a part of that, we'd ask you to join up with us and pray for us. Especially now with the way it is with COVID and traveling with a family. You can't imagine, or you probably can. It's difficult. Uh, and God has been good. He has kept us healthy and safe as we've traveled. And so we're praising him for that. But I believe it's because people are praying for us. Our church back in Portugal is praying for us as we're gone, and we're here doing that. The number two goal that we have while we're back in the States is fundraising. Obviously, uh, as you're on the field for four years, you naturally lose a little bit of monthly support, and so you need to put that back as you come back and visit churches. It's been a little extra hard this time because the new churches aren't welcoming in new people. Churches like this that already are familiar with us and support us welcome us in and no problem. But some of the new ones are just kind of like, well, let's wait. So we've had eight new churches cancel. Uh, but even in this difficult time, God has added four new churches to our team. And so we're thankful for that. We still need about four more to get back to where we need to go. And so we're confident that through the churches that we're going to be visiting and through our supporting churches that have promised to up our support a little bit uh, to keep up with some of the conflations that God's going to provide that. But you can be praying for that. Uh, the other fundraising goal that we have this term, and we're, prayer, we're asking all of our churches that we're in to prayerfully consider uh, giving towards this fund. We are trying to raise the money to purchase our building. Uh, the whole project for both buildings is 120000 I feel like if we get half of that, we'll be able to negotiate some sort of lease to own and we'll stop renting and we'll start owning and we'll be able to make some uh, headway in that way. So be praying that God would continue to provide through our supporting churches. We've had some individuals, but God has been so good to us. In the last couple months as we've been traveling, we've been able to raise about $30,000 to go towards the purchase of the building. So we're only 30000 away from goal one. And then if he permits, we're hoping to get to goal two so we can purchase both sides. Right now, as you see our, from our video, we can seat about 35 people in our auditorium. It's a, it's a small room. Uh, with social distancing, we have to kind of put foil on the windows, though, you know, because that ain't happening. Uh, but um, we can seat about 35 right now. We have all of our kids in one room from ages 3 to 12. So all of you Sunday school teachers go like this with me. <gasps> They're all teaching. They're not in here, right? So, but uh, it's difficult. So what we really want to do is we want to divide that class into two rooms and move the adults into the new area where we had, can seat about 90 people. And so if God was able to provide the $120,000 for that, we would be right where we needed to be. And the last goal that we have is the toughest, all right? You thought the money was a hard one. This is the toughest. We are recruiting. We need more missionaries missionaries. 
to come and to serve. Whether in Portugal or other parts of the world, I would love it if you'd come to Portugal because to be real honest with you, I'm tired of being the 13-year-old rookie on the team in Portugal. We have five couples from the BBFI there. I've been there 13 years and I'm the new guy, all right? So I'm ready for another new guy to come and to take that much-loved role as the rookie, all right? So we need people, and that's one of the reasons we geared our video the way we did is we want you to know that the mission field is, is available to people to go to. Uh, in many ways, retired people, single people, young families, we need more people to go and to serve. You know, one of the things that I think has been the toughest on new missionaries going to the field is we have people that come and talk to us many times and like, we'd love to come work with you guys as a team missionary or we're considering being a missionary ourselves. But financially, right now, we've got so many things holding us back that they're unable to get to the field. And you know, as a Christian, we need to live in such a way that if God was able to call us or decided to call us, we could turn loose of all that and we could take off to the mission field. Because if you're tied down with debt, you're not going to get there. And so, matter of fact, tonight I want to use that as an opportunity to segue into our message tonight. You can turn over to the book of Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking at just a few verses here and we're going to be back and forth a lot. And I promise I'll get you out of here at about the regular time if you keep up. If I, find, if I see you're not following along and turning pages the best you can, then we're going to go back and hit it again, all right? I had Brother Hilton as a teacher. He'll... He, You've got to put it down. I will put the plug out for this. Our, our organization, the Baptist Bible Fellowship, has created a curriculum that churches like this one can use at a very low price that they can put into their kids' programs that will ward off a lot of these problems before they become problems. And teaching kids at a young age about stewardship and about missions and about preparation for the future. And so, you know, if that's something that you're interested in, I carry those cards with me. You'd be, I'd be glad to give you that. But when we get into a difficult topic like debt, uh, in, in preaching workshop, they told us when you're going to talk about something sensitive, you've got to start out with a couple jokes to kind of lighten it up, you know, because people are like, debt, ouch, you know, and nobody wants to hear this bad four-letter word in church, right? So we'll start out with a couple jokes. The only man who sticks closer to you in adversity than a friend is a creditor. <laughs> if you think nobody cares if you're alive today, Try missing a couple car payments, and they'll find you, right? They'll find you. Well, th so the joke, joking aside, on average, each household with a credit card carries a balance of $8,398. The total U.S. consumer debt is around $14 trillion. This includes credit cards, auto loans, student loans, and mortgages. Debt is growing at record pace in America. Some estimates show that it's climbing around $200 billion dollars a quarter. I haven't had a math class since high school, and that was 20-something years ago, but that's a lot of zeros. 200 billion a quarter. Here's the thing. No matter your financial standing, there is not a single person here today in this room that is not in debt. And I want to show you what I mean by that. There's such a thing as good debt. There's a good debt that we have to pay. And if you would, look at Romans chapter 1. We're going to read verses 13 through 17. The Bible says, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. 
So as much as is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for this time that we can come together and we can open your word and we can just study and learn and lean on you for understanding. And I pray that your power would be uh, active tonight, that we would be open to uh, your leadership in our life in whatever area that that might be. And I pray that you would just use this time to help us to leave here tonight different than we came, more like your son. We ask this in your son's most precious name. Amen. I don't know about you guys, uh, but whenever I read a passage of Scripture, I'm a very simplistic person. You know, I I try to keep it real simple. I try to keep it real applicable. I try to make it matter to me today. And when I look at this passage that we just finished reading in Romans chapter 1, there's a couple questions that come to mind for me. The number one question that comes to me is, why did Paul feel indebted? Many times you can get lost in a bunch of commentaries trying to figure out what exactly the writer of a particular book was trying to convey by the words that he chose to communicate with. But what the the idea of the word here that we see when Paul calls himself a debtor is basically conveying to those people in Rome that he was writing to that he had a sense of obligation to do something. Now, it wasn't a small one. It was a big one. He understood that there wasn't an option to just not do it. He had to communicate that there was something that needed to be done. So we have to ask ourselves another question. Well, what is Paul's debt when we look at this passage here? When you start to study this passage in Romans chapter 1 and you look up some opinions about what Paul might have been trying to communicate, you find several things. Number one thing that popped out was that maybe Paul felt a great sense of indebtedness because God had made him an apostle. Because in verse 1 and verse 5, he uses these terms, he says, called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God. And verse 5 says, by who we receive grace and apostleship. But listen, when you really understand what Paul was conveying by what he wrote in this passage, you find that Jesus chose him to be an apostle, he gave him a mission, didn't he? So he wasn't in debt for doing what he'd been told to do. All right, so that's not really a valid argument. Much like with my kids, I don't pay them for their chores, right? They have a responsibility to do certain things in my house because they live with me. They eat the food that I buy, right? So they have a responsibility. I don't pay them for that. Now, if I have them do something for me that's not in their list, that's a little different. I might give him a quarter, a dollar, or whatever. You know, with a four-year-old, you can give him a penny, and he's happy because it's, it's copper. I, I don't like it when they get older. They just want him to get bigger and bigger, right? So it's not about his indebtedness for the fact that he was made an apostle. Some people even said, well, he felt a great sense of indebtedness because of the grace of God that had been extended to him through his salvation. Well, that's not a good argument either because at the moment of salvation, grace changes all that, doesn't it? If we had to do something for that grace, 
that takes the grace away from it, right? It's God's giving and God's doing in our life. So when we study this passage, what we find that Paul is in debt. He calls himself a debtor, and he gives the answer to the question in verse 15 when he says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. His indebtedness was an obligation to preach the gospel to the people that he came in contact with. And you know what? That obligation that he had was no different than the obligation that you and I have, right? And as a missionary, sometimes we come into the church and we say, you know, we need to raise our support. We need money for a building. We need to do this. And I hear, I've had church people tell me, well, it's easy for you to say you're on the receiving end of that. True. All right? We do get to receive. But you know what? With our organization, we go out, we plant churches, and guess what we do? We do missions because the responsibility never changes. We have a responsibility to evangelize our community, to support missionaries around the world, to send missionaries out of our church to different places, just like here. They just do it with a different language and learn with a different accent. But it's the same thing. We're serving in the same kingdom, a kingdom without borders, because that's our goal, right? To go beyond those borders. His debt was to preach the gospel. Now, we have to say, well, okay, so we know what his debt is to preach the gospel, but where is it owed? When we look at verse, verse 14, he says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. He doesn't owe this debt to God. He owes it to people, doesn't he? He has a responsibility. Normally, when we are in debt to people because they've loaned us something, well, that's not the same situation that we're dealing with here. They hadn't loaned him anything. The nations hadn't loaned him anything. It was all about what God had freely given to him and his desire to give it away. Right? Paul says that I wished myself accursed for my brethren's sake. He wanted the people around him to be saved so much that he was willing to give up his own salvation. When was the last time you felt that indebted with your obligation to preach the gospel? And you might be saying, well, that's different. Paul's an apostle. He's a famous. He wrote half the New Testament. But listen, Paul always paid his debts. In Acts chapter 20, verse 26, he says, Wherefore I take, to, take you to record this day, I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the counsel of God. Every opportunity that he had, whether he was standing before a king or whether he was eating around a campfire, I believe the Apostle Paul took the opportunity to share the gospel with the people he came in contact with. Listen, have you ever been reading God's word or in church and hearing about the need and God brings somebody to mind that you need to take the gospel to? And he does that to me all the time. And I think, how am I going to take the gospel and give it to this person that needs it? Because we have a debt that has to be paid, right? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at just a few verses here. You know, whenever I talk with my church people, uh, one of the main things they say is, you know, I'd love to talk about the gospel. I'd love to witness to people, but I just don't know what to say. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just a few verses here. Paul's talking again to a church at Corinth. And he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. And I think that it's important to stop right there and say, Listen, Paul is preaching the gospel to a group of believers. Why? Because there's no condemnation 
for those that are in Christ Jesus, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, right? Sometimes we need to preach the gospel to those closest to us in our churches and understand that this is a sinner saved by grace, and I need to extend grace occasionally too. That's an element of preaching the gospel and understanding that nobody's perfect, right? Verse 2, it says, By which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless hell might believed in vain. And he mentions that again in verse 17. We'll get there in a minute. But I tell my people in my church, I say, listen, you don't have to be a theologian to tell people about Christ. If you look at verse 3 and 4, this is what Paul does. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Every single person in here tonight could say, Christ died for my sins according to the Scriptures. Every one of you. All right? Am I wrong? I love how he starts this off. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. I tell my people, listen, whenever you are in a situation when you need to share Christ with a coworker or with a student in your class or with a neighbor or with somebody you're just talking to on the street, just tell them what Christ did for you. Tell them where your life was headed and what the gospel has meant to you and how it saved you, how your family has been repaired, right? How your kids are being raised in a Christian home because the gospel was preached to you. Give away what you got first, right? And when you read, continue reading on down here through that, he finishes that gospel message out in verse 4, and he says, And that he was buried, and that he rose again, and on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Listen, he died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. Those are the three elements of salvation, right? You share what Christ did for you, you tell him that. The verse is God's going to work through you, right? And then he goes on to talk about how after Christ's resurrection, he appeared to certain people... All right, and he made it personal in verses 8 through 10. He says in verse 10, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Listen, man, isn't that amazing? Just letting the grace of God flow through you to other people. Listen, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was there when Stephen was stoned. And he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I would still be wreaking havoc on the church, in other words, if it wasn't for the grace of God, right? If you've tasted the grace of God, if you've experienced that change in your life, you can't help but see the fact that you're a debtor and you need to get the gospel out the front door, right? Do you understand the need for that? Man, I'll tell you what, when you really understand that, it starts to change your life Practically, And so you start to think, how could I do that today? Listen, how did you talk to your wife today or your kids? Or maybe you have a boss that treats you in a way that you don't want to be treated. Maybe a neighbor made a decision that affects the entire neighborhood. Not even to mention all of the tension that's going on with racial things and politics and all these other things. Listen, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it's his grace that's working in me. If we extend that grace and we preach the gospel to our friends and family first and then to the other people around us, listen, it's going to change so many things in our life. That's the only answer for all of this stuff going on around us is to allow the gospel to flow through us. One last passage I want to switch over to, Romans chapter 10. This is a passage you, many of you could probably quote. 
But it also, towards the end, contains one of the saddest verses I feel like is in all of Scripture. It's in Romans chapter 10. We're going to start reading in verse 9. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You remember reading that before, don't you? This is one letter of the book of Romans, and he's writing to the same people. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. And that's why he continues this idea in verse 11. He says, whosoever believeth on that gospel shall not be ashamed. He's Continuing the same message. Verse 12 says, There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. What did our text say in verse 14? I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, the wise and the unwise. The unwise. Listen, he's saying it's good for everybody. He's saying the same thing here in verse 12. 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Listen, this word here for preacher is not the one that you're talking about for your, your, your pastor that's here. This is someone who preaches the gospel. That's all of us, right? This is a different verse. This is not, this is not the pastor we're talking about. This is how are your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, your family going to hear unless you preach and share? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Listen, I know we're in a great, independent, fundamental Baptist church. But if we were to have all of you come forward tonight and taking your shoes off and socks off, I'm going to guarantee you there's not many feet in here that are going to be pleasing to look at. Can we agree on that? Feet are not pretty, typically. They carry a lot of problems. They smell funny, all right? But when the Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, how does that work? Listen, when you think about the fact that your sharing of the gospel with somebody changes their eternity, even ugly feet become pretty. Isn't this amazing how this works? Right? You could join a foot pageant if you just preach the gospel. Don't do that. That's one of those things I shouldn't have said, right, babe? <laughs> Verse 16, and this is the one that, is, that really gets me every time I come across that it says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. It's one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. There are people everywhere that need to hear the gospel. Even in Springfield, Missouri, there are people that could not tell you what the gospel is. A city with 400 churches. Some people don't know what the gospel is. It's overwhelming when you run into those people. There is a need to do that. In Lisbon, less than 1% profess Christ as their Savior. They've not obeyed the gospel. That's why we're raising more funds. That's why we need a bigger building, because there's more work to do, right? Verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And I love how that verse 17 Correlates back over here to verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. When Paul wrote Romans 1 and Romans 10, I believe he was trying to bring a message together. 
And that message was, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if the gospel has changed who you are, you are now a debtor to get the gospel to areas that don't have it, beyond your borders. You know what? The borders are not just Springfield or Missouri. They start right around this church building, right here. Right as you walk out that door, beyond the border of right here, the gospel has to be preached. That's why missionaries go. That's why missionaries raise funds. That's why missionaries, that's why pastors, that's why you're here tonight, to be encouraged, to get back out there and go back to work, right? Because there's so much left to do. I want to share just a quick story in closing about a guy in my church who has just been growing leaps and bounds. In February, he was baptized. If you might remember, he was the guy in the picture that had the beard on. I baptized him in February, and um, he wanted to live for Christ. He was going to make this decision. He was just excited. He was, had that childlike faith. He just wanted to know more information. Him and I meet even now on a weekly basis via whatever platform works, right? Sometimes it's Facebook, sometimes it's Zoom, sometimes it's WhatsApp, whatever. I'm not a techie guy. I thank God for people like, that know what they're doing back there. But when, in February, he was baptized, and listen, he was so excited to just be a part of the church, to be actually not just attending, but go from attending to a, an operating member of our local New Testament church and just giving and being excited about it. Well, then COVID hit, and we had to shut the doors. Well, we didn't have online giving. We still don't. It's, it's, it's different when you go overseas. It's different monetary everything. Anyways, he calls me one day, and he says, Pastor, I have a problem. Um, if I pay my rent, then I don't have enough money to pay my tithe. What do I do? And I said, and this is totally just about how the gospel's changed someone's life. I said, well, first of all, the first thing you need to understand is that that tithe was never yours to keep. All right? You, you, that's God's. It's not really even an O thing. That, he provides, you give, God blesses, all right? And that looks different in every way. I said, here's what I'll do. I'm going to be at the church building tomorrow. It would be a Tuesday. This was on a Monday. I said, I'll be at the church tomorrow afternoon. If you want to come by, you can put your offering in the box. If you chose to do that, either way, let's have a coffee. Let's visit. So Edgy shows up to church that afternoon, and he kind of had the shaky leg syndrome, you know, where he's nervous because he knows that if he puts his tithe in the box, he's not going to be able to pay his rent. Um, and I could see just the way he was dealing with it as he arrived at the church. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, here's our box. It's not near as pretty as the one you guys got, but I could never get that back, so I have to just give that up. But I said, here's the box. I'm going to go make us a coffee. If you want a coffee, I'll make you one, and, and I'll be right back. And I'm just going to let you be here and do business with God, you know. So I go in the other room, and I come back. I could just see, you know, you can just tell when the burden's been lifted, when the battle's been won, right? I didn't look in the box right then, but I understood by the look of him. That, God, that he had obeyed and he had done what God wanted him to do. And, and I could see the gospel effect in Edgy's life as he was growing. Well, this was on Tuesday. And when Edgy left, after we had our coffee and we visited for a little bit, he walked out and I just started praying right there. I said, God, I need you to, I need you to grow his faith. I need you to provide for him. I need you to pay his rent somehow. I don't know how that's going to work. But here's a guy growing. He's been changed by the gospel. He wants to serve you. And I need you to be faithful. Couldn't tell you all the words I said, but that was the gist of it. And I was about this emotional when he left because I know that pain. When you really don't know how you're going to do the next thing, you know. And so um, Friday, I believe it was, 
Thursday or Friday that week, he calls me. He says, Pastor, you're never going to believe what happened. And I'm sitting in the back of my mind. I'm thinking to myself, um, he got some extra work. He made some extra money. He's going to be able to pay his tithe. That's me thinking. I'm all uh, spiritual about it, you know. He says, you're never going to believe what happened. My landlady just called me, and she said she fell ill, and she can't come pick up the rent check tomorrow. She comes on Saturdays. He said, do you think that God made my landlady sick? And I said, listen, God works in mysterious ways. But I took it as an opportunity to say, Edgy, listen, God worked in your life. The gospel is real. You have a debt to pay, and you have to be faithful and allow God to provide. Guess where Edgy lives right now? He had to move. He lives in my house. Full, full spell discipleship, right? He's living in my house. And the first time, Valerie, my, my wife, is much more spiritual than I am. And I think all of you men, if you were honest and you should be in church, you would say the same thing. She came to me like the end of March, beginning of April. And she says, what do you think about Edgy and Michelle just living in our house while we're gone? We have to pay the rent either way. And we could let them live there and they could take care of the fish and whatever. I said, nope. Mm -mm. That's not the answer, right? <laughs> That's not going to happen, right? Well, then obviously my wife just said, okay, no problem. And then God started working on me. And guess what happened? Edgy and Michelle live in my house. So we disciple every week, and I say, Edgy, why don't you take me around? Show me my stuff. Just kidding, I don't really do that. But listen, everything you have belongs to God. It does. It's not yours. You have to be willing to give it back, whatever the cost. 